Okay. Hello, check, check. Hello, hello. Check, check. Is that working? Oh, fuck okay. it. I'll go without. It's fine. <laughs> We're going to be good. We're going to be good. Okay, okay. <laughs> Dude, how, how have you been, man? Yeah, not too bad. Um, obviously, very strange times, and I can't really say the UK has done much better with <laughs> than America. I think that we're similar. You know, it's really. I think uh, our prime minister is like he's not quite Trump levels, but he's not far off. You know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. It used to be like Trump was like no one can come into America, and now people are like we don't want Americans coming over here. Like they're closing us out now. <laughs> Like we, no, you guys are good. Did you see like um New Zealand declared themselves like COVID free, like no cases or really? anything? They've been for a week, so they had people back at sports events and gigs and stuff. And then, oh no, two fresh cases. Two British people went to New Zealand and screwed it. Oh my god! It's so embarrassing. Like I'm sure you feel <laughs> quite embarrassed about America at the moment, but it's oh, the same. Uh, yeah, for sure. I definitely feel embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have um, all of the pubs reopening tomorrow. Really? Um, which is is still really too early. Like the death toll is still too high, so it's very yeah. premature. Um, so certainly, like myself and my friends aren't going to be rushing back to like restaurants and pubs and stuff. Oh, you know? we we opened up uh, all the bars like in June. Wow! And uh, they're closed again. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> this is the thing, you know, it's, I mean, they keep talking about, uh, you know, the second wave. It's like, we haven't left the first wave. We're talking about the next one. It's just going to be one big wave, big, you know, big, massive wave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's definitely put a, a big downer on everything and, and it's slowed down a lot of, you know, uh, the whole world, but especially the music world, like, no. I feel particularly bad about that. Like yeah. just walking around my neighborhood in East London, like uh, so much stuff is shut and looks like it's kind of gone for good. And I wonder about a lot of the sort of grassroots, very small music venues, like the 50 to 100 cap. Yeah. I just don't see how a lot of them are going to survive this. Oh my God. Yeah. It's definitely, a, definitely a fear over here too, of just like places like the echo. Yeah. You know, they were bought by live nation but like how long will live nation keep them keep funding it with, you know, smaller yeah. labels like that. I have smaller uh, venues like that. I think might, might yeah. be in some real jeopardy. Are they looking at doing like drive-in gigs at all? Because live nation <laughs> like booking loads of those here. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. There's, oh, there's like stand-up comedy and like big touring acts as well. Oh, that's crazy. I know yeah, Garth, Garth Brooks is doing one. Okay, but yeah, they seem doing like um parking lots of like some of the smaller regional airports. Mm. That's <laughs> quite cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite tempted to like go and like see what it's like, just just to see. Well, it's perfect. Like you bring your own food and drink. Yeah. You're in a little bubble. You don't have to, uh, <laughs> you know, go no. among. <laughs> My girlfriend and I, we just went to the drive-in, and they had a double showing of uh, uh, Willy Wonka and Wizard of Oz, right? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I fell asleep during Willy Wonka, but like it was awesome. Yeah. It was so good. It's so nice. I mean, it feels like it's quite an American tradition anyway, the drive-in cinema and on the hotter side of the country, like, you know, California. Yeah. I guess it never quite went away. I know I've been to some things before, like um, the Oscars Museum. They did outdoor screenings there. Mm, yeah. And 
uh, Hollywood Cemetery and things like that. There's yeah, th there's definitely a lot of stuff like that, like movies in the park in L.A. But uh, the drive-in where you drive your cars in, it like went away, but then it kind of came back. No. And now it's really back. You know, oh, they're they're, cool. they, they're popping up everywhere. Yeah, I know a few comedians like you know like Burt Kreischer is doing his, and but oh, cool. the thing with Garth Brooks is that he's performing in one place, and they're projecting it to every drive-in so he's getting paid for multiple nights of shows in one night man he's that, that's like gaming the system that's <laughs> that's not right you know? I know you're not even seeing you're just watching him play somewhere else uh, uh, <laughs> that, uh, you know it, it's really hard to tell how everything's gonna go like um i don't know i, I saw that you're releasing some music soon um, I am, yeah. I know you've had a kind of record ready to go in the background, and you know what kind of has led you to do that now? Do you feel like I've kind of felt like you're getting a lot more people's attention in a weird way because people are on their computers and phones and in front of their TVs more, so you can kind of almost get their attention. So it's not such a bad time. It's just hard. Yeah. There's no shows to promote, you know. There's no shows to promote. Um, so that's. Like I, I just I did a podcast with uh, Wyatt from Lollipop, and we talked a oh, lot cool. about this. And but like, just like any business, um, when shit changes, you're gonna have to pivot. You know, mm -hmm. you can't eat inside of a restaurant, so they're only doing takeout. So yeah. what is the musician's takeout? It's yeah. releasing music, podcasting if you can, tutorials. Like you have to get extremely creative now. Um, and and it's tough and but you you, you got to figure it out because I spent the first month just hanging out and I was like oh I don't know what's gonna happen I'm just gonna just chill and yeah well I guess we didn't really know how long it was like it certainly felt in London it's like oh we're gonna have to like close down for two weeks but in yeah. like two or three weeks you know and that was three months ago so <laughs> you know, and then like doing live stream shows and and, and yeah. do you think that that's still going on do you think that's died down a bit i don't know I, is ben gibbard still doing it like he was he was the one who was doing it every day no like yeah he was doing it daily and i think like jeff tweedy pretty much was for a while and yeah i stuck with both those guys watching them and it did feel like it kind of was connecting people a bit more it felt like you're having a shared experience which is yeah lovely. and i like their songwriting both a lot so mm -hmm. uh, but i don't think anyone can sustain it like that is hard work yeah in itself you're going to rehearse that day maybe relearning old songs or oh that's covers. and it's a lot of work that's exactly know? what i did when i did i did one live stream show and i had to relearn like a bunch of different songs like oh i don't know any of these songs anymore yeah 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 it just happens i resisted i had a couple of people ask i don't play live too much anyway yeah and i just kind of felt had that sort of fear of like oh people won't be that interested and then i'll feel a bit dumb and it's going to be a lot of rehearsals and stuff <laughs> mm -hmm, like that basically i chickened out so <laughs> i've and had a few I'm, like the wave is slightly gone a bit but. yeah i've had a few people reach out about me playing live on their platform and right. i just don't know how that would work so i just have said no every time like yeah. do i log on to your instagram like and then my people are going to your instagram like i'm trying to build my platform right now so it's like hard to yeah 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 get people to go somewhere else like find like um it was quite funny as well a lot of the big artists like say like um the stones had done one and a lot of people were doing regular ones like crowded house neil finn yeah they they um 
cut together the footage so it looks like they're playing live in their locations, but they've obviously just like tracked a version and they're yeah. miming. But yeah. it's kind of like everybody's like, wow, look, you know, this is amazing. They're in different parts of the world, but they're still playing this beautiful thing. It's like, nah, it's so funny. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, no. We're, we're, the streaming capability isn't like, it's not that great. No, no, but it seems like your sort of average Joe off the street is like really impressed. Like, oh, did you see it? Like, you know, Neil's in New Zealand and his son's in LA. (laughs) (laughs) I know. That's like what a lot of those late night shows are doing, you know, like we have Haim and they're all in different like houses, you know, it's like, yeah, it's all pre-recorded. It's it's beautifully like tracked with like the best gear and sounds better than any record I've ever (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Ten thousand dollar microphones and stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. It's really yeah. Just thinking outside the box, like what can you do as a as an artist to stay busy and stay active and promote yourself? Like I, you know, maybe a few months ago, everyone was kind of laughing at the Patreon thing. Like, oh, I'm not going to do a Patreon, and now everyone has a Patreon. You know? Yeah, I think you have to take that stuff seriously, and it's like yeah. you get a bit of money, like. Uh, as you probably know, like doing music isn't my job, nor is the label totally. uh, super that I run. Um, so I have a day job, but uh, because I've been, um, do you have the term like furloughed in America where it's like you're laid off work, but the government is subsiding? Yeah, work. we have unemployment. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a benefit. Kind yeah. Of thing. So that's happened to me, which has meant for probably the first time in my life, I've had so much time to write and record. Yeah. So, you know, I, I managed to do a whole album from scratch and um, I wasn't even planning to try and do that this year. And Wow. You know, so I see this time as a gift for me in my otherwise quite busy job of trying to pay my bills and just survive. A taster of what it would be like if you, you know, if it was properly your job and you could take the time and space to do things properly, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you don't feel rushed. You're not paying hourly for a studio. It's like yeah, and no distractions from no like distractions. life or commitments with family things because you just couldn't do those things. They you can't see anyone. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I completely so, agree. Know, the concern was, you know, like how do I fill my day? And I kind of felt sorry for people that didn't have or still don't have like a hobby that they can do at home, like you know, whatever that be. Yeah, you know, music is like quite a gift to go oh, I've got this luxury of having time with my instrument and trying to write, you know? Yeah, I, I, I guess definitely... that comes a pressure as well. I know people have felt like they've beaten themselves up a bit, like, oh, some people have made, like, three albums already and I'm having <laughs> struggling with one song because there's also a pressure with it, you know? I agree. I completely agree. And I think it's fine to take a break. You know, if you felt like you needed to take a break, but for people like me, I just, I, I took my break. I took all of like March off and then yeah. April came around. I was like, okay, let's get back. Let's get back onto it. Like, Ooh. you know, what can we do? What's next? You know, plan it out in my head. Yeah. And, yeah. So did you um, crack on with starting to write the next album, even though this currently- <laughs> <laughs> I have, um, I have three songs like I've written through the quarantine so far, oh, cool. which is, which is fine. You know, that's like something. Yeah. But I'm also feeling like I'm not gonna release an album. Okay, you're just gonna like do singles and serialize it. I yeah. can, I I recorded an album, but I think I could honestly stretch it out to where I'm releasing music until next year. Brilliant. I mean, the the whole model has changed, and yeah, the danger you have when you're not like 
an artist on a big indie or a major is yes. your album comes out and it's yesterday's news very, very quickly. Yeah. Like one week from that release date, it can be forgotten unless you're touring hard. So the longer you can kind of stretch out that campaign and keep the interest, then why not? It just seems like it's how you kind of keep the interest now. I don't yeah. really know the way around it, you know? You, you know, I was really, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are inspired, but that band Wolfpack, They've done yeah. such a great job of doing that, releasing their own albums, just dropping a lot of YouTube content. YouTube is such a underutilized platform yeah. for a lot of musicians because, you know, we're not videographers, we're musicians. Like, we need to hire someone to film us, you know? And I think yeah. that's that's something that needs to get changed because it's very easy to learn. Just get, like, a camera and yeah, yeah. make it work. Did you ever come across this um, 90s Irish power pop band called Ash? They're kind of like grungy power pop, I oh, guess. Oh, cool. No, Ash? But, yeah, they were, they're like a, you know, a big band in, in Europe and, you know, yeah. top 10 hits and stuff. Still playing today, but about five, six years ago, yeah, probably six years ago, they were like, we're not going to do albums anymore. We're just going to do singles. And they were just like, you know, half a decade, if not more, ahead of the curb. Wow. So the project was an A to Z where they were just doing each letter of the alphabet would be, you know, the first letter of the title of the single. And they did that for a whole year. Wow. Um, and then at the end of it, you could buy it all digitally or you could get like pretty much a single every week. And, you know, it, it seems like it's becoming the norm. But back yeah. then it was like, oh, you're not releasing albums. You're crazy. <laughs> yeah, you it's know? crazy. Like it's your dream. You want to make albums. You want to have the album art and then it's all on vinyl yeah. and you, and you want to make that happen. But I don't nah. know. I still, you, I mean, I've, I've released your music on yeah. some interesting formats and I still really like the kind of, you know, the tactile thing that you can hold. Yeah. And, and the artwork is a really exciting part for me always like, you know, working with artists to design that. And so I kind of don't want that to go, but at the same time, I don't really see how in the, sort of lower echelons of music you can survive like it costs so much money still to get in a studio with a producer your mastering your artwork and the fact that you can put something out and then it be forgotten so so quickly is yep. really difficult you know yeah it's really sad and and i think if you can just learn how to do a lot of things yourself you can streamline that process it could start becoming a lot more profitable it's like when making t-shirts you know if you just yeah. buy the little press you could start making shirts yourself and then you're well, just paying all, for the shirt it always really baffled me that when i was in a, a band uh, many years ago in the uk and we were touring and doing quite well how often kids would be much more happy to part with um 15 for the t-shirt than the record yeah annoy me but then you know the t-shirts cost a couple of dollars to make but the record costs a hell of a lot to make. <laughs> well, how much? Uh, you know, it's fine, but how much is a record right now? Maybe eight dollars a record, a twelve-inch. Yeah, probably. I mean, I guess the cost goes down the the bigger the the run is, obviously. Yeah, yeah it probably goes as low as about eight or seven dollars or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, if you get like a thousand copies, five hundred yeah. to a thousand copies. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so but, then you're selling them for twenty-five, and then yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do think that bands truly do make their money from live fees and merch now. Even, yeah. even like, you know, if you go to a big show, the T-shirts can be $25, $30 now. And, and they, you can't tell me they cost more than like 3 or $4 to make. <laughs> even if I it's know. a nice quality shirt, you know. Yeah. If it's a nice quality shirt, 
and if they printed it themselves, it's even less, you know, because you're really charging for the labor. Like that's where the cost usually goes up. I mean, some of the crazy ones I saw was like um, last year I saw FKA twigs. Yeah. The t-shirts were like uh, 50 pounds, so 60 odd dollars. That's crazy. Uh, same with um, Jay-Z and Beyonce. Oh, there yeah. Was a, they played like a stadium down the road from me. And the queue to get into the merch tent, you'd probably have to queue up for like an hour. And then the t-shirts are about $40, you know, like. It's insane. The, the money they must have taken on that is like, <laughs> you know, compare we, that to a record sale. Like a download is like an advert or an album rather is an advert for the live show and the merch, you know? Yeah. It's, it's flipped. <laughs> it's flipped. It wasn't always like that. It was like. Yeah. Yeah. It was just the side stuff. And now it's the main gig. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we played at the uh, Santa Barbara Bowl, which is kind of like the Hollywood Bowl, but like half the size. Oh, yeah, I saw some pictures when you did that. Yeah, it's insane. But then, like, you know, we set up our merch next to the bigger bands' merch, and there's just like $20, $40 jump in t shirt prices. Like, holy shit. Like, yeah, yeah. They've grown accustomed to just working that way, and it works. People, If, if people buy it, I guess it works, but like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's an error I've made with my label, but I've never liked to kind of rip people off. So I try and yeah. I try and price everything as cheap as I can and yeah. just make a tiny bit of profit so that I hopefully don't lose. But, you know, just a tiny bit. Like, I want to make it so everybody can have it if they love it, you know? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, it, it funds the next project you do. You know, you're always taking that and moving it somewhere else. Like, I don't think I've ever used Dante LaFonte money for fun <laughs> like, it's always no. like this money we made right here okay this is the van we could rent the van and this gets us this and yeah yeah i mean the most luck my band had was getting some quite good like uh sync uses where mm. our music was getting used in tv and film stuff and and that would tend to bankroll our recording and hotels and you know maintaining the van but yep. you know i never nobody and that was quite decent money that had come in, but nobody ever took home even like a hundred dollars, you know? So totally. Yeah. I, I think people uh, don't know that side of it as well. You know? Yeah. It's tough. And I remember like the last tour you were doing, it was like a lot of dates across a large part of the country. Yeah. And it must be difficult to maintain that. Just the travel costs are a different level to the UK. Just, yeah. just your bills and stuff like that, you know? Well, yeah, like renting a van could be anywhere to $3,000. Like uh, if you rent it through a proper company, it's going to be more like $5,000. But if you yeah. have a friend, like I had a friend and I was like, hey, man, I can pay you 1500 when I leave. And when I come back, I'll give you the rest of the 1500 And yeah. uh, we were able to do that, you know, and then you can make it. And then you got to buy hotels for 30 yeah. nights, you know. Look, I don't know what the minimum fee is you could take for a show, really. You know, it's yeah. just it's – it's really tough yeah but, um you know i suppose you have to look at it as well as being like a privileged position where you know if you get invited to be a main support on a, on a good show like that yep you just kind of have to go well we're only getting this opportunity because we're decent and you know we're going we're going to collect more fans by doing this yes so you take it as a bit of a hit and go Hopefully one day we swap places with this band <laughs> that we're opening for, which has happened time after time with big bands, you know, where of course, yeah. Yeah. You know, everybody's been the opener at some point and then eventually <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, you can make that jump. Uh yeah. and, and you kinda, you know, say they're giving you three hundred dollars a show. 
awesome. Yeah. That's fine. That's enough to cover things. You one thing that I learned from from the last tour I did is like stack your merch, like yeah, double than what you think you're gonna need because we sold out quickly. Like, and this is like advice for like if you're opening for a bigger band, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But like, yeah, it, like um, yeah. I remember when we would do like small theaters as main support. Yeah, it could be surprising and you could sell out of stuff. So be well prepared because that's why you could make your money. Yeah, and you're halfway through and you're like, we're running out of shirts. And that was like our bread and butter, you know? It can yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've had a lot of that from some of the bands I've released from um, from the US that come over here. They'll get midway through a Europe tour mm. and they'll email me and go, Luke, do you know how the hell we can get some t-shirts <laughs> in like two days? <laughs> <laughs> Like, do you know anyone in the UK that can get them delivered to Sheffield tomorrow? Like, <laughs> oh, that's that's hard. But, <laughs> do you, uh, I don't know. What do you think is like the big difference between UK audiences and American audiences? Uh, I'd say there's there's a funny thing I noticed with American shows that the audience seem to be more keen to heckle a band they don't like, or even if they do like them, they want the attention of the artist. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that's about. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> because we've feels, been giving this freedom of free speech and we cho choose to use it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I paid my ticket money. So it's my right to say, yeah, if I, yeah. I'm shit. Um, <laughs> I mean, the only problems we had, my, my band opened for Jimmy World of all bands. We were kind okay. of like a rock kind of band, but we opened for them. And yeah, we would know about it when that crowd didn't like it. But I think mm -hmm. that's just because it was a bit of a genre clash where we had been the wrong kind of booking for that yeah. audience. But um, no, I've, I've noticed from going to shows in LA, it feels like people will say if they don't like it much, but in the UK, it's quite conservative and in london it's almost just too cool so the audience will be like this like what have you got like you know they'll be like trying to you know impress me you know totally so they're, they're not going to give you much they're quite cold mm. um maybe it's like that in new york as well i don't know yeah i feel like we're quite similar to new york so i don't know yeah that that, that probably makes sense like um i they're know too cool, cool, so too cool kind of yeah yeah they don't uh, want to show them when they're enjoying it. They're just like, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> that's kind of like, I don't know. Unfortunately, that's kind of like what San Francisco has turned into. You know? okay. It's like that was such a rowdy place to play. You know, yeah. people used to get so excited. And then it just, from the last 10 years, this last decade, the 2010s, it just got so techy and so stale. And it's like um, yeah. all employees, like, you know. I don't know, employees of tech companies and nobody wants to embarrass themselves in front of their coworkers and <laughs> they don't have too much of a music scene anymore. Like it's not the I'm same. Not... It's not the same. It's still a great town though. And you, you it's definitely still a stop when you're on the tour, yeah. but yeah. I mean it looks it looks beautiful, like really interesting architecture and landscape yeah. and stuff. But, it uh, looks like it's not that away from it, but the I guess the people like who who, who live there is have changed quite a lot. So Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's the beauty, you know. LA is still pretty nuts. Like yeah. uh Orange Orange County, that whole like burger scene, like those kids are still wild, I'm assuming. I'm assuming. I'm I don't know, I'm too old now. <laughs> I've only been I, I first came to LA about eight years ago and I've come a couple of times a year since and 
it's changed so much in that time to me. You know, when I first came, downtown was certainly dead. And yeah. East LA, how, how East LA feels like it's very expensive, like designer boutiques, and that's mm -hmm. changed a lot, you know. So it's, it's been quite quick, but, you know, it's the same in, in London. Like anywhere that's built out of artists coming to live for cheap and be creative, eventually the business moves in and those people get pushed out and, you know. It's a it's terrible cycle. Yeah, it's bad. But, um, you know, I think it seems in London it could move in like 100-year cycles. Like I, yeah. I lived in Brixton for many years. And that was once, if you go back a hundred years, a very rich area, then it became oh. very, very poor and very dangerous. And now it's kind of getting rich again. So it, it can go in very slow cycles. Is that where the so, clash is from? Or do they just have that song called? They have a song called Guns of Brixton. Yeah, um, but... They were, oh, I want to say that they are more like Hammersmith, like West London. Oh, I don't, okay. I don't know. Not entirely sure, actually. I'm not the biggest aficionado of uh, <laughs> like them but i don't i don't know all of the um yeah me story. either i like them too but i don't know really much i know their first ever gig was this uh pub in um fulham that i go to before i go and watch fulham games um so i don't know i thought there maybe <laughs> is it you know a lot of those like older established pubs and bars like is there a fear that those are going to go away too like maybe what some of those really famous ones yeah totally i mean like I said, stuff's allowed to reopen tomorrow, but it has to be um, a table service, yeah. which means if the pub's quite small, you can only have 30 customers at a time or 20 customers. Yeah. So lots of people can't reopen because the staff cost to manage that outweighs actually doing it. Yeah. You think a lot's going to be happening. It's, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's very strange times. Wow. I'm sad I couldn't get over to LA, actually. I, I was there at the start of the year because we were going to do a podcast then. Um, That's right. But uh, I would have normally hoped to have come again around this time of year, but I don't know when I'll next come now. It's, it's difficult. <laughs> oh, yeah. My girlfriend and I were trying to plan a trip over there. We're like, oh, we'll hit Liverpool and then go see the Beatles stuff and then we'll go to Manchester, see some Smith stuff. And Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know. All went away. <laughs> I'd, say about, um, I'd say that about audiences here. Like the further north you go up the country, the more raucous the crowds get. Okay. So, you know, you get to the Midlands like Birmingham, it's warming up a bit. Yeah. Get, yeah. To, get to Manchester, it's going to be kind of going off. And then you get as far as Yorkshire, like Leeds and Sheffield. And it's like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's this, I watched this uh, great performance of um, uh, Franz Ferdinand in Glasgow. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And they're just like, going fucking crazy yeah. like it's a soccer game yeah oh they they were such an exciting band when they uh first broke like um yeah very good band yeah did you see any of those bands coming up when you know maybe when you're high school or something i saw i saw franz ferdinand around the first record that's awesome um but it was at glastonbury actually so mm. i didn't see them do like any little club shows yeah but um yeah i mean I saw loads. I, I I think I went to Glastonbury for the first time when I was like 13 years old and it was oh, cool. 1995. So it was quite a vintage year. Like I saw Oasis and Pulp with the headliners. Yeah. Um, you know, Supergrass doing their first record. Wow. With the big uh, hit. Yeah. Actually, Weezer were over uh, promoting their first record as well, wow. which seems funny now, like that original Weezer lineup. <laughs> it was cool. You know? and, and that first, you know, Blue is so iconic. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it just has this like, great like yeah. replay value. You could listen to it over and over and over again. Sure. But yeah, there was loads of uh, Manchester bands of the time, like, do you know the Charlatans or the Verve? Mm-hmm. Like, men. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all there. So it was cool seeing that from a young age, like all of those kind of really classic bands now, you know? Didn't the, I think, I think I read somewhere that the Verve just got their rights back for Bittersweet oh, really? Symphony. Yeah. Um, Cause it was now a, that that's, an example from a Rolling Stones orchestral thing. Yeah. And there was like an Alan Klein like thing. Like he really screwed them over. Like he was yeah. the manager for the uh, Stones and the Stones didn't care, but Alan Klein cared, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh. And, and Alan Klein's like known like asshole, uh, Basically broke up the Beatles and uh, <laughs> robbed yeah. some, you know, stole money from Sam Cooke, like known. Clown, yeah, it yeah. feels like, um, yeah, that's sort of 60s and 70s music manager uh, kind of period was just, yeah, white. Oh, uh, yeah. White people being terrible, ripping off bands and stealing money from them. There's absolutely no education, like for, for artists yeah. coming up, like just sign here and you're like, all right, sign. All yeah. this, all this language to like ruin you for the next twenty five years, you know? Yeah, I mean, you still get it now. You must come across those managers of other bands where they're just like people's mates that learn on the job. It's like, well, this is yep. my best friend; he's the manager. Yep. And um, from running the label, I sometimes have to deal with those people when it's like working out how to do a release, and it can be really difficult because they're they're kind of like um. It's good that they be protective, but they also don't know what they're talking about. So they have a very hard line on certain things, which totally. doesn't make it easy to work with them. You know? Yeah. So be a bit like, um, and like if you just uh, if you kind of <laughs> what they're talking about, this really isn't a problem, but you're making it really difficult. Yeah. And like, you're going to lose out by making that a problem, you know? Exactly. Oh, yeah. man. Well, that's, 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 you know. I don't know. Working with managers can be tough. Working with labels can be tough. And, mm-hmm. and I appreciate people like you who made it really easy. And it's just like, no, we're just going to do this and it's going to work out. And Well, because I was in bands, I always just tried to make it very much in the artist's favor and just thought if I was them, how would I want to see it done? And how could I, you know, feel like they were helping me and, mm-hmm. you know, make it collaborative as well. And just, um, yeah, I, I've, I've never been in it for the money. I started it for fun. I mean, it still is like a large scale hobby. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've not made money from any bands. You know, if I have, it's like $10 here and there. It's not, <laughs> I'm not stealing yeah. money. And, and you know what? You're, you're, and you're worth it. Go get, go get a beer <laughs> on that 10 bucks, you know? Uh, but, you know, uh, more than anything, with, especially with the American bands I've released over here, I like to be a little window for an audience here hopefully build something small and give a first little outlet so you know eventually if they come over there's there's some kind of small foothold totally um it really worked with bands like um do you know sugar candy mountain those guys yeah they've done really well i mean they've sold out three london shows now getting bigger and um i think i put on the first two and did their first couple of releases here and it genuinely worked and it yeah they come back a lot now and they've built on it that's so, crazy. They kind of have this like London sound that like I feel like the UK yeah. would really eat up, you know? Yeah, for sure. And like the kind of I don't know if you'd call it like psych pop, what whatever yeah. it is they do, it's sort of there is English bands that do it, but they don't seem to do it as well as them or some of the, the yeah. bands out of California or, or wherever wherever it may may be in the US, you know. Yeah. 
people don't feel like, or at least how we do it is very a very different kind of uh, feel to it. I was uh, playing in San Francisco once, and this guy came up to me at a bar, and he he was an older uh, British dude, and he was just like, or maybe he, he might have been Scottish. He's like, I know what you're doing, and I was like, Oh, what am I doing? The pastels, orange juice. Oh, <laughs> the only problem is no one knows who the fuck they are. I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> I mean, it's a cool compliment. You know, it's, that's a great, I, it's exactly what I was going for. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going for. But he's, it's true. It's like people don't put those references together in America as easy because those bands are so underground and yeah. over here at least, you know? Yeah. Oh, that, you know, those kind of um, the Scottish sort of indie pop bands are very fondly thought of here. So anybody who's like a, a music nerd or record collector will just hold them up in a very high. Oh, yeah. You know, Edwin Collins is like, you know, a legend. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he accidentally followed me on Twitter once. <laughs> well, like accidentally, like then unfollowed you very quickly. <laughs> yeah, yes. That's how I noticed. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> he was responding to me. Cause I, um, he's up at, you know, he's, their time is different. So he's, I'll, it'll be 3am here and he'll be tweeting. Good morning, everyone. And I'm just like, Hey Edwin question. Like, you know, and then he like yeah, followed cool. me. I got the screenshot and then he unfollowed me. I was like, okay, good. Cool. I know. Yeah, I, know. Was, um, I was at a record store day at the little rough trade in Notting Hill about 10 years ago. And uh, he was there just sort of browsing oh. records. I, I didn't pluck up the courage to speak to him, but, um, I find in the past when I've tried to speak to people who I like really admire, it goes yeah. really badly and then I'm sad. <laughs> but, it's but then you have that moment where they eventually leave. Like you kind of wait it out for like 20 minutes. Like, shall I, shall I? And they leave and then you feel sad and like deflated. Like <laughs> I, do it, but, uh, I did that with uh, Stephen Malcolmus. Oh, wow. A, a I would never speak to him. I, um, I think I like to think that he's a lovely guy, but I, I wouldn't want to test it. <laughs> I know. So I, I saw him uh, and he was going into the bathroom and I was like, I'm going to go into the bathroom too. You know, the worst time to fucking say hi to someone in yeah, the fucking bathroom. So he's walking out, he's about to wash his hands and then we lock eyes and I'm like, Hey man, I'm really excited to see you. And he, he was just, yeah. And he looked at me, he's like, Oh, he was like startled. And he was like, I'm I'm excited for you too. Or you know what I mean. And I was like, yeah, I do. Oh wow! You see, yeah. But then he proceeded to play the longest fucking show of my life, and I was like, I left half. I I left like three quarters of the uh, way through. Was it uh, with the Jicks or was it Pavement or Jicks? Yeah, it was with the Jicks, and it was just like at the time I hadn't I hadn't listened to all of his solo albums yet. So it's yeah. just like this massive catalog, and I was just like, oh, yeah. I don't, yeah. yeah. But now if I saw the Jicks, now that I've seen, I've had a few years, yeah. like, okay, I could enjoy it now because I know all the songs now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, saw he's... Pavement in 2010. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, when they reformed for a bit. Yeah. 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 I saw one of the London shows and then I saw Pavement sort of at the end of their first existence. Mm. When, um, Terra, Terra Twilight. Twilight. When they were promoting that, yeah. Yeah. That's great. a that's like a Niles Goodrich or whatever from from Radiohead, oh, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, that's yeah. like their that's like the one that's like how I got into them was through that record. And now oh, I look back and yeah. like, oh, that's like the one people hate. <laughs> yeah, I know it's still weird to me because <laughs> I, you know it's kind of the one that I discovered, or at least I was at the right age where I could mm -hmm. 
or maybe slanted and enchanted maybe stereo was the first song where i was like i like that yeah um, but yeah i i think a lot of people aren't into terror twilight that are like the og fans but totally. it's so kind of melodic and like you know songs like carrot rope which is like so lush that's you know? actually the first song i heard oh cool yeah that was the first favorite song i ever heard i was like oh this is tight um, it's so charming um, well i think he he said it's about um he he had insomnia and he would turn on tv in the middle of the night and they were showing the cricket in england oh you know the lyrics like the wicket keeper is out and yeah. he was trying to work out the rules of watching english cricket at like <laughs> four in the morning it's just the most Stephen malcolmus thing ever <laughs> love it. that's amazing yeah yeah oh, that's so cool man yeah i love i love pavement i love uh you know edwin collins they just started a, an orange juice youtube channel and they're dumping oh, cool. all this live footage and oh. all this i hadn't i didn't see any promotion for it i just like was like it got suggested to me yeah. and uh they're putting the music videos up music videos i'd never even seen before i'm like oh i didn't even know they had all the i just thought they had one rip it up music video but now there's like, a yeah, bunch of other that's videos i've seen the rip out one yeah yeah so it's out there man yeah i'm glad that they're that some of these legacy artists are like digging up their vhs's digitizing them and putting them out yeah no i've seen yeah there, there's been quite a few bands doing that hasn't there like um and there's been quite a lot of kind of um, live streaming, you know, shows from the past where, again, you have that shared experience. Oh, I've seen that. Yeah. I quite enjoyed doing some of those. Um, my favorite, actually, uh, for a sort of um, concept is, um, so the band The Charlatans, that are this famous Manchester band, Tim Burgess, yeah. he organizes these uh, Twitter listening parties where he gets, you know, big artists, with their classic record, um, you basically have an arranged time where you all push play, oh. and then that artist will tweet while you listen stories about making the album. Oh, that's cool. And they've done 250 of these now since the end of March. Wow. So, uh, there's about three or four a night, and you know some of my favorite all-time albums have been covered by this. So wow. this goes on and on. And um, I don't think it would work great time-wise for you guys because it's like UK time. Yeah, yeah. It's like three in the morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's such a lovely thing to feel like you're listening to a record with thousands of people and we're all discussing it at the same time That's and getting right from the actual artist, you know? Yeah. Twitter is a really crazy place to do stuff like that where where you'll just post something and then someone's like, like I posted something about Jeff Buckley. I was like, oh, I'm a massive Jeff Buckley fan, but I would love to have seen him. And some random guy just comments, I was there, San Francisco. Yeah, great show. Like, yeah. I think I told you before I did see him. Yeah. I saw him at Glastonbury 95. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, that was the same festival? I feel like, yeah, I feel like we discussed that when I met Maybe. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> I know you're a huge fan. Oh, I love him. Yeah, yeah. He's he's one of my favorites. I've been trying to uh, get some of it, some of the like I'm friends with the people that were close to him, like on uh -huh. Facebook, and I'm trying to get them on the podcast. Oh, that would be cool. Like uh, his drummer, who also drums for St. Vincent, like Matt Johnson. Like he's he, oh, I'm wow. friends with him on Facebook, so I'm trying to like, hey, let's do it. His um famous Telecaster just got resold to the to uh, from Muse. Yeah, <laughs> that's such a horrible band. I can't deal with that. <laughs> Um, I can't deal with the fact that oh. he the guitar. <laughs> I loved them in high school, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I then mean, when I saw when I, them in the early days being like mm. first on at shows, playing to like 400 people. Wow. But, um, and they've just become the most kind of like hideous, like dull. Yeah. 
what happened. Yeah. Band? I, don't, I don't know. I well, think they're the most uncool band on the planet. <laughs> when I was learning to drive, Knights of Sidonia would play twice mm. every half hour on the radio. Whoa. And I mean, on the, it on, that they got so big in America, but maybe it does fit because it's quite rough sound. It was, I got tired of it. I hated it by the end of the, by the end of my, me getting my license. I was like, I hate Muse. Like, yeah. it's funny. Yeah. Cause that, the first record when they came out, it very much felt like he was doing an impression of something between Jeff Buckley and Tom York. Yep. Like the record kind of sounds like the Benz, but with a bit of Jeff Buckley esque. Totally. Kind of vocal kind of stuff. The um, Benz is also my favorite Radiohead album. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's very cool. Yeah. I saw, saw that actually. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, the core act was Sparkle Horse when I saw them tour the bands. Oh, that's insane. cool. Yeah, yeah. It's just you know, people. I in Rainbows was also very big for me because that was my senior year, and I saw them in San Francisco, and they're they're so fucking good live. And but I don't know, I just keep going back to the bands, you know. Yeah, so, I mean, again, it's beautifully melodic. I, I mean, I know it's not something they look back on as something they're particularly proud of because they probably didn't feel they were being very progressive at the time. They sounded a lot like a lot of what was going on in the totally. UK. Um, but I still think there's really beautiful songs on there. Like I, I listened to it actually for the first time in years in, in lockdown and mm. you know, like a nice dream really struck me and black star. Mm. And just, I was like, these are really so beautiful songs. Like, totally. You know, they, they they just morphed and found their own sound ultimately, and that's where they want to be and what they want to be recognized for. Yeah. There's still some really great stuff on that. <laughs> yeah, blacks are like many Radiohead fans that say the Benz is their favorite, so I respect that very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, I don't know how that happened, man. Like when we first started Dante, like um, Kevin, when I first met the guitar player Kevin, like we talked mm-hmm. about the Benz and and uh, Weezer's Blue album, and that was kind of like okay, maybe we should kind of go in that lane. Like maybe we could find something there, you know? Yeah. Like I suppose there, there does feel like there's some, a little bit of Weezer element to your very early stuff. Yeah. Um, but again, it's more in melody, not how it's delivered. You know, no, never, no. you've never been like a, a rock band. There's never been like big distortion yeah. pedals or anything like that or heavy drums. And it, it was never like, you know, going into the studio and trying to copy something. It was always like, let's just do what we can, you know, what we want to hear. Yeah. Well, that's always very healthy to not try yeah. and emulate, you know. <laughs> like, it's uh, a bit cool, isn't it? Of trying to copy something kind of makes you sound like a lesser version of an existing thing. But totally. if you kind of be oblivious and not care about what's going on around you, you normally find something quite something that you'll like. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's like days like Rado when we were making the first record, Jonathan Rado would wake up and be like, let's do like a spring day, Springsteen day. Like, we'll just listen to Bruce and then like, you know, yeah. But like yeah. definitely nothing sounds like Bruce Springsteen, but like, you know, maybe there's like a piano part that sounds like Bruce, you know? Yeah. 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 I think it, it's okay to pepper it with little, <laughs> kind of, um, I don't know what you'd, you'd say, like little sort of ref- reflections of things that, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, what else have you been listening to now that you have time to just sit down and, and revisit albums? Like, uh, I really enjoy it. Do you know Nick Drake? That was a, yeah. he was an English folk artist. Uh-huh. Um, I haven't been enjoying sort of going through his stuff again. And John Martin from the same era. Um, what else? I mean, it's, it's funny. It's like, um, 
because life kind of felt like it came to a standstill, you could reflect on everything. So I feel like I've been back through anything I've ever loved in a way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, totally. you sort of reevaluate everything, including, I don't know if it's been the same for you, but including some of my own things that I've made over the years, you know, projects I've been involved in sort of like listening back and going, was there anything good in what I was doing there? And yeah. you know, it's a massive time for reflection. But also yeah. kind of celebrating all of the stuff that you love, whether it be films or certain records, kind of going back on them and going, oh, this is so good, you know? <laughs> you know, I looking agree. at echoes of stuff of a past life that doesn't seem to exist right now. <laughs> yeah, a past life and and uh, a catal- an, an, an old catalogue of mine that I'm just like, oh, man. Yeah. And it just takes you back to that moment when you wrote that song or when you played yeah. it live and... Yeah, I always wonder um, with with your music, like um, what you think of that first EP because it was the one that I discovered you via. Oh, um, you know, I come back to it, and I still really, it holds a, a special place for a little snapshot of time. <laughs> you know, when I was first sort of discovering LA, and yeah. I did recording there, and met the Lollipop guys, and it, it sort of. Um, I don't know. What do you think of it now? Is it something that you can't listen to or you still find something good about it? I, don't I think know. there's like two songs. I only like two songs on it. Yeah. I like, and it's the first two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I think it had something to do with the recordings. I think those ones recordings to me came out mm-hmm. the best. Um, and cause we were just so young and still trying to figure out how to navigate a studio. Um, yeah, I think, cool. I think yeah, I think, uh, yeah. Does any of it end up in the live set, like ever? Um, I'll throw in all the time sometimes. Yeah. And the, yeah, sometimes that used to be the closer, but now Call Me's the closer. So I don't know. Cool. It's kind of there's not really a lot of places to go with it because it's so freaking high energy and it's just like tick, go 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 go. Yeah. It's like where do you do go you after do, that? <laughs> you do much from the first album, like uh... I do. Uh, I open with Junkie now. Oh, cool. Okay. And yeah, then yeah. maybe I'll do pop song. Um, yeah. Because I think that's, uh, you know, some really great songwriting in there as well. Like it would be a shame. Because I, I feel like um, I can see the evolution of it, like musically. Yeah. And you found something much more soulful that maybe feels like more true to you than those early EPN albums. But, um, true, true to me, like in, the con- like in the context of the time, you know, like now where I'm at, uh, the soulful yeah. stuff feels really good. But like, well, it, it's time, yeah. But you found, I think, sort of new um, areas of your voice, which I've had that over time as well. And it's quite yeah. like liberating and you go, oh, I can just kind of let it hang out this way and sort of be comfortable with it. And it, it feels new as well. Yeah. So you it, write this movie then because of it, you know. And I switched over from playing guitar to like playing keys. Oh, what? Not, li- not live, but like when I'm writing. Oh, interesting. Because, you know, yeah. I, I stumble on different avenues completely. Yeah. I completely stumble on chords. Like, cause I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> on keyboards. So I'm yeah. like, what's that? I'm like, Oh, okay. That's a good thing. You know, that's, a, it's like the main reason why I do it now because I'll fall and I'll stumble into things. And I don't know how I got there. Uh, where yeah. guitar, I felt like I was like, Oh, I've done this before. Oh, I did that trick already. Like, yeah, I, I know all the tricks, you know? Yeah. Like once you're like, you know, 10, 15, 20 years into playing guitar, it's very hard to find new ground sort of mentally with it. It's like, yeah, you get so set in your ways and 
it, it's just hard to sometimes break out of that. So a different instrument can totally flip it. Yeah, and like, now I'm, I'm just like not a great key player, but if I was stronger, I'd definitely be trying to push that way and see what that brings. It takes it's a, it's a lot. It takes a little bit longer to write the songs. Like mm -hmm. it's just like, okay, what am I doing? Where am I going? I pick up a guitar. What chord is that? Oh, okay, that's just a B major seven. Okay, and I can do this and around that. But like, yeah, it's just falling ass backwards into everything. Yeah, uh, it's fun. Is your plans with it? You're um, releasing it. You set up a label or something, or um, so me and my new bass player, we did set up a label like uh, a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, and we were just DJing, you know, we had our jobs and we were just DJing and all the money we generated from mm -hmm, all the money we generate from DJing would go into the releases. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then, so one thing led to another, I ended up hating the job I was working at and I was just like unemployed. And, uh, I, so I ended up just started DJing to survive. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, things, one thing led to another Dante goes on tour like four times, you know, in the last like two years and. The, the the label's kind of taken a weird turn but uh yeah hopefully we'll get it back together we did like one compilation we did like a santa barbara compilation oh cool yeah yeah i mean that, yeah that felt good it was like a community thing and and you know getting some voices out there because i feel like more and more so labels start now out of just people releasing their own music like this is what happened with me so yeah. my band finished I was like, oh, I'm going to see if I can make a, a solo record. And, yeah. you know, while that band wasn't too far in the distance, I sent it around to labels and there was one or two that were like, we could maybe do something with it. But I figured I'd been in a band for so long working with a label I, and I'd worked at record labels. I was like, I know how it works. There's nothing that I can't do here. Yeah. So then it becomes a sort of vanity thing of like, do people feel they need the validation of somebody to release it? Because if that's the only thing standing in the way, then do it yourself and have total control. Exactly. Uh, which is what I did. So I set it up, released my own album, and then I was like, now everything's in place and I know how it works even more with digital distro and everything's ready to go. I was like, I'm going to start releasing other people. And it just yeah. goes from there. And I, I think that that's happening more and more. And I think it's, people sort of maybe overestimate what small indie labels can do for them. It, you'd be surprised how much you can do yourself if you're willing to put in the time and meet people and just send emails and get your teeth into it and try and enjoy that rather than think of it as a, a painful thing or not fun, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course, for every hundred emails, you might only get 10 replies and that's all part of it. But be ready for that and then enjoy it, you know, <laughs> but, you know, enjoy, enjoy, the, enjoy the, the one blog that does come back saying, yeah, we want to premiere this. Don't worry that the other ones didn't reply, you know? Yeah. Well, that's where I'm like, uh, I haven't even thought about blogs or anything like that. And I'm just like, press and radio is difficult. I'm not going to lie. And it gets yeah, harder like, years go by, but. And do we it, need it still? Yeah. Yeah. Like, would I be better just focusing on Spotify and yeah. hoping I mean, a playlist pit, like, you know? I can genuinely say that I don't think any premiere I've ever got for any artist has um, sort of generated any physical sales, even totally. when they a link, a buy-through link. It just, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. So you start to wonder, 
how much does it even matter having premieres? And there used to be a time when I could send out a press release and I would have like a premiere and then maybe 10 other music sites would follow up and also host it. Yeah. Now they all only want a premiere, which means you can only get your track on one <laughs> site. So yeah. it's just, it's crazy. Unless you're like a Radiohead or, you know, Fiona Of course, Apple. yeah, they'll pick it up. Yeah, then it'll be everywhere. But if you're kind of like a, a band on the up or trying to make it, then you're going to get on one site and other ones probably won't touch it because they're only interested in premiere. It's so different. Totally. I, I, there is definitely a time where all you needed was Consequence of Sound or Brooklyn Vegan, like to share your stuff. And I had both of those things, and I don't think it did a lot. <laughs> you know, no, I, I, I think people uh, overestimate it or bands put too much sort of hope into those things. And really, they should know that it doesn't matter too much. Yeah. There is a time when it did and, and it's gone. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's past. Maybe it is more like the the sort of early pitchfork days and mid, yep. you know, thousand uh, mid nine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and and maybe that moment has moved on, and it's just you know, but you're right. I think Spotify playlist is a real key one if if you're lucky enough to to find your way to into one, that. Yeah, and that and that that really does a lot. Um, again, it's a shame it boils down to that because then if you don't manage to get your tracks on there, then you're not seeing too much traffic. And we all know that the money is dreadful. Yeah. From but um, that's why the, the live music thing is important to merch. You know, it's, it's got, it's got to survive because yeah, our bands get by. So, you know, you, when you go on tour, Dante Lafonte turns into like a boutique, small business, you know, yep. brick and mortar, like, at the end of the show, go and buy the physical merch. We're like a clothing store. Yeah, you're and, right. It's, it's yeah. like a traveling store, isn't it? It's, it's like a traveling store. store and yeah, it, you kind of have to treat it that way. And it kind of gets its own spreadsheet, you know, like separate from the other ones when you're on tour. And yeah. I definitely say that's good as well to keep track of those things and actually see what's happening in cities and be careful with collecting the money and what have you. Seriously. Uh, there's a couple of things we like, used to be sloppy with that and it would just be like, yeah, it, it can evaporate quickly and you don't know what's been sold and where you were successful and things like that. So Yeah, exactly. Like which sizes sold the most, like things, <laughs> things that I didn't think were going to sell. Like I bought like, I have like a bunch of small shirts left. So I was like, Oh, so maybe people aren't really buying smalls. Like maybe people are as small as I think they are. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So that's it's it. Yeah, be be savvy and treat it like a, a proper business, you know. Yeah, you know? a little brick and mortar that you travel yeah. traveling store, and then yeah. you know the music part sells itself, and you know it's all promo. The 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 live yeah. performance almost turns into the promotion. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally. Yeah. Would you have um been on tour again this year if things were different? Yeah, we had we had to cancel two tours. Oh um, my. A West Coast tour that like led us from Arizona, just doing like a loop. Yeah, and then um, a national tour where we'd go around the whole United States again. Both of those were canceled. Yeah, I don't know if they're getting moved to next year or what, but so far, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's happening in the U.S., but with festivals in Europe, they're keeping the bookings of the lineups and just shifting them to next summer. Mm. So that's quite cool that they've honored everybody who got booked so they can expect yeah. those these in one year's time not that that makes it easier um but it's strange because then you'll have 
bands bringing out records next year who then can't get on festivals when they yeah. want to promote their records. So yeah. if you're not in sync with it, you're also going to get hurt, you know? I know everyone's records are just getting pushed back. Like everyone I know who's on a label, it's all yeah. getting pushed back. Yeah. So now you're going to end up with a bunch of musicians who are stuck in a position where they can't release anything. And yeah. when I think of that, I think of how blessed I am to just be like, okay, tomorrow, next Friday, you know, and the first yeah. Friday of every month until next year, like, yeah. I'm just going to, you know, when it's cool, you have control and you don't have to answer to anyone. And you're like, this is the plan I feel is best for my project. So yeah. Um, and yeah, that's like I, the beauty and, and, you know, not stressing about booking agents. I had a booking agent. I don't have a booking agent anymore, but like, I don't have to, I don't have to have one now because no one can go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's a fun one as well, because that's something where when you're trying to make it, you think that having an agent would be the be all and end all. And suddenly you can get on big shows and it just doesn't work like that. Like yeah. my band were with the biggest UK agency called X-Ray who okay. have like play and blur and Eminem and stuff like that. But we were wow. at the very bottom of the roster. Yeah. And they would turn down, you know, shows that were quite low fees that we normally would have played and would be the sort of bread and butter of keeping it alive. Yeah. But they also weren't doing anything for us to get us on to. So it just, again, it's kind of these myths of things that bands think are really important that maybe aren't. Mm -hmm. yeah. Totally. And it's not something you learn until you either have it and then you lose it and you're like, oh, wow. Like I, I was uh, in consideration for this festival, but the festival didn't think I was worth the price that my agent asked for. And I'm like, how much did you ask of them? Like, Sometimes you're getting priced out of shows and you don't even know about it because the yeah. agent tell you or they're very rude to like your kind of DIY promoters that you maybe had good relationships with traditionally. Mm -hmm. And now, now I'm getting priced out of shows because I don't know what they're asking for, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's cool if they're trying to fight your corner and they think you're worth that, but you, it's also like you would like to know because then you could go, no, that's actually okay. I'd just like to be on that really great bill. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. And same thing, like, um, big, 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 big agency, Brian Wilson, like all these other big acts are on there and, but you know, and then there's us like at the very bottom, like, yeah. Yeah. We're pitching for tours. What about this tour? What about that tour? And then, you know, yeah. you just, you just don't hear anything back and yeah, it's tough. But the, yeah. the, the big travesty of, of how the industry's kind of formed that way is that like, you know, your, your average Joe doesn't even get to sniff these main spots, these direct support slots. Cause it's yeah, all yeah. gatekeeped through agencies. Yeah, totally. It's, it's really locked off and it will normally be, yeah, the supports often come from the same agent as the, the, the main acts. And that last national tour where I opened and we played massive venues is because we all had the same agency. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I had a really sad one where, well, in hindsight, it made me feel a bit sad about how we were booked. But um, my favorite festival in the UK is called End of the Road. And we got to play it and we found out a couple of years later that we had only been booked because it was a deal where they had booked one of the big acts and they said, oh. take stagecoach as well as part of this deal. Mm -hmm. So we were like a bundle with like Willie Mason or something like that. Oh, wow. It, oh, it took away the shine from it, you know, but you know, <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that happens behind the scenes. And, you know, totally. uh, I, 
I'm just very much a believer in this day and age that DIY is good and bands should just, you know, try. And, it, and if you're really good and you really work hard, there is potential to do good things still. True. I agree. Yeah, it's just it's just how much you want to work and how much work you want to put in. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I've just been filming everything by myself and it's definitely harder like to film like videos and stuff by yourself, but like it's yeah. fun. No, but it looks like the content that you've been creating, like shooting and editing, it looks really nice. And yeah. I do this everything with Superfan. Uh, my dad shoots and I'll edit and grade it. Oh, cool. So the music video we did for you guys and just, and everything, you know, everything you see visually from Superfan, I'm making that. Because again, that's cutting cost corners and I'm keeping it sort of in brand with how I want the label to be presented yeah. to the world. And so it ties it all together and, I think the identity of what you're doing with the podcast and your band is like very clear, you know, it's very totally. strong sort of identity. You know? So you're, you're releasing, uh, I saw your post, you're releasing some new music soon. Yeah. So this is the album that I just made in this kind of three or four months of doing nothing. Yeah. Uh, I um, love my that. Dad, you, and you shot that promo video yourself too again? Yeah. Yeah. It was just at my folks place where I've been living and helping them out for the last few months. And, um, you know, we just collected a bit of footage over an hour or two and then, you know, cut it together and make a little trailer. And Ah, oh, that's awesome. The way it feels very much me and it's very honest. It's not sort of fabricated thing. It's just yeah. like, this is what it looks like and this is how I want to present it to you, of the, the, the how the recording looks of what I'm doing, you know? Wow. Yeah, yeah that's cool. And was it just a digital camera? Because it looks, the grade makes it look like it's like film. Like, Yeah, that that's just like... Um, just like a little light. We did it in Final Cut Pro 10, and okay, cool. that's like some kind of Super 8 kind of grade. Yeah. I don't know. Well, the difference is maybe that because my dad is a cameraman, he has like a very nice lens for the camera. Cool. So that does, I think, a lot of the heavy lifting to make it look cool, I think. Yeah, it you looks know? great. Yeah. If you shot it all on a GoPro and put that same, <laughs> it, 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 it wouldn't look quite as good, but, totally. you know. So that's lucky, but you know, I, I really like working with my dad and we collaborate well. So all of these music videos we did for Superfan artists, it's been me and him, you know. Oh, that's well, awesome. The concept and direct it and he'll shoot uh -huh. it and go away and edit the stuff. And it means I've been able to make videos for people for, for free and just, you know, get stuff out there. <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, that's really rad. Um, so, when, so when's this album coming out? It's coming out um, July 31st. July 31st. My kind of feeling with it was the opposite of, say, when we spend lots of money to go in a studio with a good producer and then you have to wait for the, the mastering and the artwork. I was like, how can I trap the songs as fresh as possible? So maybe the same day I wrote it, I'll record it and see it the whole way through and then release it as soon as I can to the point that they finished. So they're like a true snapshot and cut as many of the barriers that get in the way of slowing the thing down. Yeah. So the whole thing is going to be written, recorded and released inside three and a half months, really. That's great. And are you going to uh, release it on like tape, record, like a vinyl or? I might do um, a mini disc as a physical okay. format. So I only found this out recently, but in America, the mini disc wasn't like a particularly like no. big format. <laughs> it wasn't, no. It was so big in Europe and Japan <laughs> that um, in like the late nineties, like my friend's cars had mini disc players really? and all had mini disc Walkmans. And yeah. And so 
the last release on Superfan was um, artists from the label and beyond covering songs by John Bryan. So stuff from movie scores he's done or just yeah. like his own. And um, I released it on Minidisc and I found a lot of the people that were buying it um, were from America and they were <laughs> a bit confused by the format. <laughs> uh, and I was like, what? <laughs> That's amazing. Wait, it's just behind me. I've got to show yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is what they look like. They were kind of like um, very small sort of diskettes. Totally. So it's... Uh, you can kind of see there. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's like this kind of size and, <laughs> and, you know, they just kind of slot into these small players that, you know, like this big and yeah. you can put it in your pocket. So it's exactly the same quality as a CD, but just really small. Wow. Yeah, those, <laughs> uh, those definitely didn't take off over here. <laughs> I have one. I have one from a, a local band in Santa Barbara. No way. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, my old computer in the '90s had a slot for it, though. Oh, that's different. That they're like um, they're three-inch actual CDs. Oh. So that is like um, there was a period where CD singles would be yeah, like they're yeah. still, and there was um, a little drop in the tray, and it sits. Yeah. In oh, that's track. different. This is different. Yeah. Oh. This is more like a kind of computer disc. Like inside <laughs> is a CD, but it's kind of. You know, I'm um, like a floppy disk. Like yeah. it's got a slider on it. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Those ones were a big thing in like maybe the like early 90s. I feel like there was lots totally. of like R&B and hip hop singles on those. <laughs> yeah, they're cool as well. Those There's cool. a place in the UK that manufactures them too. Oh, damn. So, yeah. yeah, so that's why I'm also wondering like with COVID-19, like are there delays in manufacturing right now? Have you experienced, mm. do you have anything coming down the pipeline? Have, has, has anything been oh, delayed? My guys were still um, really quick and it wasn't a problem, but um, I haven't done any vinyl in this period. And I know most of the vinyl is done at um, GZ, which is the big plant in, I want to say it's in Poland, but it services mm. most of Europe and quite a lot of America. Okay. And I have no idea what the situation is there, whether it's slowed that right down. I imagine, stopped. yeah, I imagine it's a lot of people on that plant, like at least like over 10, you know? Yeah. So I think, yeah, probably because they had to reduce how staff could come in and things, it will have slowed down a lot of releases. Mm. Um, I don't know. But yeah, I've, I've, I've been lucky, but you know, I, the, Super fan has slowed down a bit. Um, yep. Sort of financial reasons, I don't release as much as I used to. I'm kind of yep. spacing out a bit more, but I figured, you know, release less, but put in more time and make them more interesting, collectible things where I kind of, you know, like with making trailers and things, put my heart and soul into it and slow it down a bit. Well, I think that's what makes super fan so unique is that you're, you're providing this unique experience of listening to music. Like we can all listen to music, but yeah. it's this format that's unique that separates you from everyone else. I think, you know, the oh, heart, yeah. the heart shaped vinyl and, and yeah, you yeah. Know, like, yeah, I, I know some people in America who really wanted that heart shaped vinyl. Really? I was actually, you know, the site Discogs for like record collectors. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I was actually looking at the super fan stuff on there. I sometimes have a look out of interest. Uh huh. 
and it's crazy like some of the most expensive stuff on there goes for like hundred dollars but there is one of your heart-shaped vinyls on there from a uk oh, really? and it's it's quite expensive it's like 30 40 bucks oh my god yeah yeah <laughs> well, i got guys, i got mine sitting over in the corner over there yeah 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 that's insane i'm gonna have to look on discogs now yeah like um the maddest one is um, a cassette that i released um is like 60 70 dollars wow because like, uh wow became quite collectible it was you know you never know what's gonna what's gonna fly that's insane I, I do do such small runs that that does make it a bit different from the labels that will do like 200 cassettes or totally. 500 you know i do very small amounts so it tends to be the stuff goes on sale and it often goes in the same day yeah but that's a good feeling though you know that's like scalable yeah. and it, it means that i don't you know quite a few people start can start a label and the first vinyl release they'll lose quite a few hundred dollars yeah and it put them off doing another release you know i, I kind of yeah. worked out a way to make it a bit safer where it's like they normally sell out and i don't have to lose too much so yeah um that's crazy it's, it's kind of sad to see i i understand why it happens but say it costs you a thousand or more to even do a run of 112 inch and you don't sell enough to break even you can still lose hundreds you know so yep. It's, it's a really difficult, finely balanced thing, especially when you're first trying to start out and you don't have a mailing list or like a, a following or like regulars to your web store or what have you. Totally. I, uh, I definitely for a while had boxes of, of Anglo just sitting around. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do with these? You know, oh. maybe the record store in Santa Barbara bought like five of them. And I was like, oh, thank God. And <laughs> I think they still have one. Like, I really wish I got one of the colored ones. It was like pink, wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. Was it, I uh, it was like pink, like a tie dyeish pink, and uh, oh, so cool. Yeah. I don't think they have any more. I think they just have standard black now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I went to Lollipop and they have one more case, so there's like fifty, I think, in each box. Have you been to their new setup with the studio and stuff? Yeah, I was there on Monday. Wow, yeah. it's it's. Absolutely. It's absolutely insane. It looks like a hell of a facility because it's got the whole thing of like rehearsal, gig venue, studios. And a, a, a venue venue, like a music venue. It looks like it, it sort of would fit a couple of hundred people in the venue. At least like two, at least 150 or 200. Awesome. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was, I was hoping to do a video. I was going to shoot like a vlog and like kind of just show off the space but ended up not just doing that we ended up just recording a podcast too and uh but yeah you walk in and it's just like their offices a big empty space that i guess they that another company uses and then yeah. you open the door and uh there's the venue and you're like holy shit there's like a stage and uh yeah there's two lockout spaces or showers and oh, then well, the actual recording studio Insane. Well, I was trying to convince him to hire me, man. I was like, <laughs> "Put me on, like, what, what, whatever you need to do, I'll help you with marketing." And uh, you know. yeah, you think that be, will they be releasing a lot more music? Because it felt like that their output's been less, a bit like me over the last couple of years. Yeah, I think a lot of their efforts have been built, have been put on building this compound, and yeah. um. I don't know what their plans are. I was like, yeah, man, if you guys ever need help, like I'm free to like, I'm unemployed. I'm, I'm, I'm down to work. And they're just like, 
uh, yeah, I wish there was just something to do. I was like, I know. Yeah. It's in Boyle Heights. Okay. Yeah. Which is like, know. it's, um, downtown LA, you just go over the bridge, cro uh, cross the LA river and then. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's a very controversial neighborhood. I will say that because it's, yeah. it's been for decades, you know, a Mexican neighborhood and right. there's just been so much pressure to gentrify it. And it's uh, the one neighborhood that's saying no, yeah, which is, yeah. which is rare. Cause usually the people don't get a voice in that matter. And uh, mm -hmm. that's what I love about Boyle Heights is they're just saying no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're fighting it, man. They're trying to keep it for them. And, and I, I love it, but uh, there's a venue there now and now lollipops there. So it's, yeah. Well, so there was another music venue already then. Yeah, um, Moroccan lounges in Boyle Heights. Oh, right. Yeah, I've heard of that yeah. place. Never it's cool. It's cool. We played there, and it sounds really good for like a three hundred cap room. I was like, yeah, it's your New Year's show. New oh, Year's we we played in uh, Santa Barbara for New Year's. Ah, oh, yeah. But did you do it sort of around the New Year? I think we did. I think we played one Is show at Moroccan. Um, yeah, because I feel uh, like I just I just missed one. Like I was so close yet so far because i was yeah. in palm springs i think when you did it and i was like i can't believe i'm out of town for two days but sort of <laughs> yeah because we played on a tuesday right they gave us a they gave us like a tuesday well let's see what they can do because they really didn't want to book us okay. and so uh they said well we don't know if they can fill up the room and well we'll give them a tuesday which is the hardest night to fill up a room yeah. but we had 150 people and it felt good you know yeah, it was yeah. awesome. Decent, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did see you that one time at the Echo, which is cool. That like, was awesome. It's always about if I can get lucky with timing in trips with like cheap flights and things like that to, you know. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I have a cousin. I have a cousin who lives in Austria who's like never seen my band play. And, <laughs> and he's just like every time he's in town, he's off by like a day or yeah. he's just leaving that night or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I you know we played uh, New Year's Eve in Santa Barbara, and and I had no idea that night that this year was going to turn out like this. I know the year started like, so well for me. I was like, this is the best year in years. Yeah, like, this this is like the funnest New Year's I've had. Like, this is going to be fun. Like, this we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just unprecedented. Like nothing like this has happened in yeah. even our parents lifetimes you know totally it's, it's so strange yeah what's the the nearest one was the spanish flu you know in, in 1912 uh exactly. so you look throughout like the 60s i was telling my girlfriend we were watching like um that john lennon documentary on netflix and i was like they didn't even have to deal with this <laughs> yeah uh crazy but yeah, no, I really hope that the live music situation sorts out for like yourself. You know, I, I'm kind yeah. of pretty much retired from live shows, but I hope <laughs> and every other band I know where it's like an important part of what you do. Is it because you just, why, why can you go into why you don't want to play live? Uh, it's, I mean, I'd, I'd say if I was at a level where I had a bit of a, kind of following still or you could kind of book shows around the country and know people would come yeah i'd probably be more up for doing it but it it can kind of weigh you down when you do a lot of traveling and then you're kind of losing money and the crowds are shrinking and yeah 
no, it, it became a bit like that with my last band. And so when I started doing solo stuff, I felt very much like my favorite part was the writing and recording rather than the shows. Like the yeah. bit where you're creating and it still feels like the sky's the limit. Like every time I still have that belief that I might make a song that could do something. You know? Totally. So that's when it feels so pure and the sky is the limit. But yeah. then once you sort of get on the road, that can diminish a bit. And so, yeah. I don't know. I feel like um, I'm kind of a part-timer now where yeah, it, it's not my career anymore, but I still get a lot of pleasure out of writing songs. And I don't think I'll stop doing that, but uh, I don't feel the need to kind of be out there trying to make it a living, you know. And, and your day job is like still in music though right aren't you where you still, yeah, still, yeah. yeah yeah okay um, so you're still in it somehow oh very much like yeah. um my job normally involves me going to two or three shows a week and yeah you know and, and speaking to labels and publishers kind of daily really so yeah um it's very involved so yeah. i yeah i'm basically licensing music for film trailers so i work for a movie advertising agency here mm. so it's um you know going to watch bands, um, speaking to production music libraries, publishers, labels, you know, uh, meeting artists and just current, you know, listening to music all day long and just yeah. trying to see what works for, for the films we get in. How much, uh, how much does the live performance weigh into finding a song for a movie or is it just the audio it's, recording? It's, it's odd because when I started the job uh, four or five years ago, I thought it was strange to be asked to come to shows so often as a guest i yeah. thought oh this just feels like they're kind of like trying to butter you up to, so yeah. that you're the artist but over time i found that the more shows i see and it's often artists that i've never heard of before or like i know of a bit um the songs will stick with me more from seeing the show so if mm. the stuff's good it will stick in my head for the next month and i'll keep them in mind for projects you know but i now see the value of actually doing it so I think, yeah, last year I saw something like 50 shows of all different shapes and sizes from stadiums to theatres to clubs and, uh, you know, lots of pop music and, and mm -hmm. stuff that I buy tickets for. And I found it really started to work. And I was like, this is how you do it. You have to absorb it all the time, everything. Don't judge anything. Everything has its place in terms of um, being used in the mm -hmm. sync capacity, you know. Yeah. Um, whether it be, you know, an advert, a video game, a, a, a film soundtrack, a trailer, everything has its place somewhere, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've tried um, with, with Dante placing them on staff and, you know, we've, we've tried your music in cuts for things and, you know, yes. it's, and um, it, it's a very finely balanced thing where for some projects I can go through two or 300 tracks over four yeah. or five months before we find the right thing where the client's happy, the director's happy my company's happy so you have to a lot of things have to fall into place but um totally when it's right kind of everybody knows so you know yeah so so it's it's the directors like who don't like they don't have time to go search for music so they hire your company no. to find music is that how it works or you have the directors that are more like auteurs so you know um uh edgar wright or tarantino uh-huh or, or um, you know that those those type of directors will often they'll have a music supervisor on their film who is dealing with the clearance rather than yeah, choosing the, 
So they'll write notes maybe in the script of the tracks for each scene because they have such a definite vision. So those kind of directors, they'll often say, can you stick to this? So uh, we did some of the European advertising for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and cool. pretty much set that we used the Mamas and the Papas track that's, that's in the movie. And, you know, it's cool as well, so that's fine. Yeah. Um, same with Wes Anderson. It's very much like you have to use the score and they'll be prepared to listen to you pitch other tracks on your cuts, but it's very, very unlikely to stick. Yeah, if it's not the kinks, he doesn't want it, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, um, smaller directors, up-and-coming ones, or just even the gigantic, you know, Universal and Fox stuff where it's like blockbusters, mm-hmm. they're kind of open to just, like, your ideas, like the Pitch bigger... ideas, the- yeah. So... so- it can- so you guys are more on the legal side, getting the clearances and meeting bands and. Yeah. 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 So, um, the way it works for anyone who doesn't know is when you clear a piece of music, you have to speak to the label who holds the master rights and then the publisher who has the publishing. Um, and so you have to agree with both those parties on a fee. So if you imagine it's a pot of money, it's split 50% goes to the master 50% to the publisher. Where that becomes more complicated is with pop songs, often you could have five or six different songwriters, sometimes 10 songwriters. They're all represented by different publishers. So you might then have That's many, a lot many of emails. It's a lot of emails. It's a lot of negotiating over. It can take sometimes months. And, you know, the more famous the track, obviously, the bigger the fee and the more difficult it is to um, get everybody to agree and be happy. And then the final final hurdles often, you know, it goes to the artist management and, and the artist themselves giving approval that they're happy for their music to be used in that context with that movie, you know. Yeah. Depending on what the themes are of that movie and if they, you know, want to be associated with such a thing. It's not often a problem, but it can be, you know. Yeah, sometimes it happens, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, it's a really interesting job and it's not, I, I didn't know anything about licensing before I started this. So it's been a really cool journey and it keeps me very, very involved with music and, you know, yeah. Uh, Cause the, you know, if a band were to get on a movie, that can be some really great money and can really yeah. help a, an artist. Like, yeah, I mean, the fees are really um, surprising sometimes <laughs> uh, you can be, you can be a relatively, you know, small or new band and still, command quite a decent fee you know well i think something that the movie industry did so well was that they were really hard on piracy yeah um which is something music didn't do you know music was just like you know there it was cut into two camps like lars ulrich or chuck d chuck d thought anyone should have music for free and lars Ulrich was like hey don't steal our music I think because of that, it it led to like people just feeling good about stealing music where the movie industry was like, no, do not steal our movies. And yeah. Yeah. Um, The the other thing that really changes the the sort of uh, how it's valued is um, a use of a piece of music in a, in a film. So on the soundtrack or, you know, soundtracking a scene, whatever you, however you want to describe it, Uh it's totally different to when it's advertising. So, a trailer is an advert, so it's advertising a product. Mm. So that in turn makes the fee completely different, like way up here compared to it being used in the film. Yeah. Although you could argue a, a song is going to stick with somebody more 
with how it's used in a film than on a trailer, which is, you know, here one month and gone the next. Whereas mm-hmm. once you have your song in a movie, it's kind of part of history forever, you know? Totally. So, um, you know, it, it, it can certainly break artists as well. You know, it can really yeah. be the making, you know, if it's the right kind of use, like a pivotal scene that really sticks with people. Um, you know, they'll keep coming back to that piece of music because it connects with the movie and that emotion, you know? Exactly. Um, do you guys do television shows as well? Or is it just movies? Uh, yeah, we do We do advertising for television shows, but not the actual shows themselves. Oh, okay. So we do a lot for Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and uh, FX and, yeah. Oh, one, one of my favorite shows is a High Maintenance. And oh, yeah. it's, on, it's on HBO. And that guy makes a really great soundtrack for the show. Uh, yeah, yeah it's like it's like the main dude in the show i think he curates most of it yeah okay cool yeah because i mean you can get um shows that really suck but the music's like really on <laughs> great supervisors who don't totally. necessarily have the show they're working on but they you know they try and style it out by <laughs> bringing exactly. some great, great music you know yeah that's definitely an example of one of those shows that just like absolutely love because the music makes it so good you know it takes it to another level High maintenance. Is it a comedy or is it a drama? It's a comedy. It's about this guy who's like a weed delivery guy. And Ah. you don't know his real name, but you kind of get glimpses into these different lives in New York as he delivers them weed. And uh, yeah, it's just like... That sounds really good. It's really good. Yeah, it's super good. Because it's still not legal here. That's almost like a show where the concept of the show would be a bit foreign to people. Yeah. (laughs) Weed delivery guy, and that's his job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a weed delivery guy, yeah. Well, Santa Barbara just got our we just got our our, our first couple uh dispensaries too. So it's all very new here too. Oh. Oh, cuz uh, you know, in LA it's just every block. It's everywhere. Totally. In Santa Barbara they've been really like cautious. They're like, we'll uh, let one open and then 6 months later another one opened like they're like, "Hey, you know, the strangest one to me that I found really hilarious was, um, is it called Med Men or something? Oh, I don't know. Med, Med, Med Man or Med Man. It basically looks like an Apple store, but it's all <laughs> products. Oh my God. So they, it's like they... you know, glass top cabinets with everything like spaced out perfectly. And you'll have people with the lanyards and the t-shirts. Yes. You know, help you. How, how do you kind of want to feel like how stuff you <laughs> The way it's sort of presented in such a tech way is very mm-hmm. like the contrast. It's, I think when it's I was to... growing up, it was a very like, you know, going to like a field or some woodland and <laughs> have, a, have a naughty little joint, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, with very like pristine kind of marketed clinical kind of thing. You know? Totally, because that was like the way around for so long was that it's medical and it's medicinal. And, yeah. and uh, I think, I don't know, I think they just like that cleanliness of a doctor's office meets an Apple store, you know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it definitely makes it. It, it's kind of removed all of the the feeling of it that it might be something that's like dangerous or bad yeah that stigma yeah, yeah it's normalized it mm-hmm. like, um, and it's yeah i'm sure i haven't really been to any weed stores in denver and portland like they've had that longer than california has and i'm right. sure they, they've worked out the kinks long you know better than we have but like yeah it's it's a lot of yeah. it's like that yeah like yeah that'd be interesting because i guess if it's been there for quite a while it will have settled into a very normal kind of you know how it fits mm-hmm. uh, on the street as a store and and how people buy it and stuff i don't know <laughs> well denver yeah. denver and oregon are ready to legalize shrooms so 
Really? They're, they're moving on the shrooms now. That's pretty wild. Because while yeah. I said that's not got any sort of like physical lasting effects, where it can take you is quite lethal. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess um, over here, well, in Europe, uh, Holland, it's legal. Mm. So you can buy a big box of shrooms and yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be great for PTSD patients and people suffering with PTSD and stuff like that. Yeah, Soldiers, yeah. they're giving it to soldiers. That's who they're testing it out on. I still can't see it happening here. I yeah, mean, if you guys are still working on weed, it might take a little while. Yeah, like, well, yeah, that's it. Like, our, our prime minister is very conservative and yeah. just... Yeah. I don't think it's happening, but... Uh, Didn't he get coronavirus? Yeah, he did. And, you know, they said that he was in uh, intensive care. So everyone was like, oh, <laughs> he had only been prime minister for like two months as well. And wow. like, oh, you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was lies. I think it was to try and get people on side a bit more and sort of feel Scary. some empathy, some empathy yeah. for him because he was kind of managing the situation quite bad. Yeah. And it hasn't seemed to have had an effect on him sort of having empathy or dealing with it any better, which is strange. Hmm. But I guess it would be the same with Trump. Like, say Trump got it. I don't think he would deal with it differently. I don't think he'd even tell us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you it know? wouldn't, you know, him having it, it wouldn't change his kind of sympathy of the situation, I don't think. It's like that. He finally said that he likes wearing masks. Like, yeah, that's I like the mo It's like. I saw that, but he was, it was so sort of throughout yeah. like the masks are pretty good. You know, it's just like not, yeah. it's not the right message, is it? You know? Well, cause it's turned into like wearing a mask is against your civil rights. I know. Like, I, what I, the fuck? <laughs> it, it, it is a shame that America's sort of sees it that way. I because know. it feels like it's the only country in the world at the moment where there's a battle to convince people that it's a real thing and yeah. that wearing a mask is somehow taking away your rights somehow I, I <laughs> no other country sees it that way no yeah is that not is that not the attitude over there thing for you you know to yeah. sort of or for for any sort of americans that get it that are kind of intelligent to go yeah. like <laughs> it was that not the attitude over there in, in london right now no, that no. that it's a civil rights Every, issue Everybody in Europe believes that it's a very real threat. So there's yeah, no, yeah. there's no sort of conspiracy that like, you know, no, I'm not wearing a mask because it's, it can't get me. It can't hurt me. Yeah. None of that really. And the mask thing, it could go that way, but it hasn't been enforced yet. So you only have to wear them on public transport. Oh. So it's a mix. I'd say in London, a lot of people are wearing them because there's a lot of people here. Yeah. So, you know, the streets are quite busy. So um, it's it's a mix, really. But um, yeah, it'd be interesting if it was enforced, like like it's supposed to be. You know, everybody's yeah. supposed to wear them. Then you might get a few people saying, oh, "I don't want to do that." You know. Yeah. For a while, it was getting really nice. So like, there's nobody on the roads, and uh, yeah. gas was getting cheap again. Like. Yeah. Yeah, it went down a whole dollar in California, and we're wow. you know we have the most expensive gas us in New York. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it was nice. Yeah, yeah. It's hard, it's hard to see where it's going to end at the moment. I mean, for America particularly, I just see the numbers, and it's like, geez. I, I, and you've got um, Independence Day this Saturday. Oh yeah, all the beaches are closed. I mean, that's okay, but it is a worry still, isn't it? Like how oh, yeah. you have the, you have those people that are defiant, and they're like, you can't. 
takeaway. That's from us. We're going to oh, yeah. get drunk anyway. And- well, the attitude in Santa Barbara is stay inside. Uh, there's going to be people from L.A. coming here because oh, they yeah. can't do anything in L.A., so now they're going to come here. And so they're sick. they have all the cases, and they're going to just bring them into our little community. So just stay inside. Celebrate on your, you know, in your backyard, like, yeah. And most yeah. people, you know, with all the civil rights issues going on in, in America right now, a lot of people are not eager to celebrate the Fourth of July. Yeah. So no, there's I, that movement. I feel too. the same. I'm sure it doesn't feel like it's the right time for that. You know? No, hell no. Well, I I don't feel patriotic at all right now. Yeah, at least if you're a decent person, you wouldn't feel like there's much to be celebrating right now. Nope. You know? So I'm going to do what I do every, well, you know, every year you kind of like, okay, maybe I'll go out to the beach, maybe get a beer, kind of yeah. chill, uh, maybe see the fireworks. I don't know. Sounds fun. But this year I'm like, I don't care. I don't give Yeah. Yeah. So the crazy thing they're doing with the reopening here tomorrow is they've said, and again, it's like with America, it's all about the economy and trying to get yep. money again um, over people's health, you know. So if we have money to spend. I <laughs> and so they said the pubs tomorrow are allowed to open from 6 a.m. I mean, that's going to go. Like English people and Germans are like the heaviest drinkers in the world. Oh, yeah. So by 10 a.m., you're talking about people fighting in the street, I reckon. <laughs> Just, that's, it's going to be a real problem. It's headed for so much trouble, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I'm keeping oh, out of the way. <laughs> well, at least Liverpool finally got to win, you know, got, finally got to have their championship, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, that's in lockdown and you've got thousands of people in Liverpool gathering, letting off fireworks, getting drunk. And- <laughs> they that's couldn't control insane. themselves. I knew they wouldn't be able to. You know, <laughs> What's, it's, how, long, how long was the drought, the championship drought? Oh, I think it's like 20 or 30 years for Liverpool. That's insane. Maybe it's 30. Yeah, it's a long yeah. time. Yeah, it's a long time to keep losing. Yeah. And they're yeah. very passionate fans, obviously. So Yeah. That's <laughs> insane. <laughs> well, hell yeah, man. Well, I guess we could wrap it. We've been talking for like an hour and a half. Oh, cool. But oh, uh, great talking to you, man. It's it's always easy chatting with you. Yeah, hell yeah, <laughs> man. I I really enjoyed this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the last time I saw you in person was um, that little um, what we would call like a village hall kind of venue oh, in Highland Park. Yeah, the uh, Highland Park e bell. E bell. Yeah. That's yeah, that how was, I was. Uh, I was living down the street then. Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's still fun. going to the venue. Well, I mean, despite COVID, before that. Um, I don't know. I I, I kind of moved out of that neighborhood and yeah. moved back to Santa Barbara, like um, probably the following year. So I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. But Eric oh, just moved to that neighborhood now. Ah uh, yeah, yeah yeah. I did see him my trip before last. I saw him. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's great. He's a great guy. Good them and yeah his new music sounds really good as well so i know that his his new single got um some good views i went oh. on spotify the other day i was like oh shit it's got forty three thousand. that's fucking great i love it. i played it a lot um at the start of the lockdown i was listening yeah. to it a lot and i played it on my radio show and the, the guy that i do that with continued to play it that's so awesome it was a hit with us at least <laughs> you know <laughs> i know it sounds like it's done good yeah, that's awesome. I think I described the keyboards as sounding like marshmallows being. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. You crept up on me that one. It's really good. Yeah. I think he has more coming out soon. But, well, you know, if I usually ask us towards the end, if there's any way for people to support Superfan99, what's the best way to do that? Um, I would just visit 
our homepage and from there you can find the store although i think everything is actually sold out at the moment okay because of the nature of it all being limited runs but you could get on the mailing list or something but the website is superfan99 and that's okay. two ones so superfan99records.com and yeah like maybe watch some of the music videos we've made you can find dante on there and yep some english bands some bands from new york some bands from california there's um, some french bands some german bands all good stuff i think all good, <laughs> good poppy melodic tunes i'd say and um yeah just like you know track us down on on twitter and what have you and uh get involved or if you're in a band send me your music i oh, there listen, you go. listen to everything and i'm always looking for more stuff oh if you've good. got the, We've got good, strong, melodic, poppy tunes. I'll probably be into it, to be honest. <laughs> well, sick. Uh, we'll, we'll have to send bands your way then, man. Yeah, do it. Do it. Cool, cool. Right, well, it's been great talking to you. Uh, yeah, man. I'll talk to you soon. Take care, man.